You are listening to an Elftree Publishing Podcast. Our elves have been hard at work in search for meaningful and compelling content, so we hope you enjoy this show. And now, for our feature presentation. Enjoy. Featuring free-spirited conversation to help build a better future for generations to come. This is Elftree Publishing. them of being pedophile. So nothing improper has ever happened to you. I mean, Michael. It, they don't do that to me. <laughs> they're so, calling me a. They're calling me. A, they're calling me a pedophile. So nothing improper. And I'm alive. <laughs> nothing improper between you, and Michael Jackson, ever. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. The, it, it, it's it's full. I mean, I'm writing a book, and I'll talk about it a little bit more in depth when the book is finished. Mm-hmm. But absolutely not. And that's why I'm so appalled by it. I just it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense about Lou Pearlman because he never did anything like that to me. Mm-hmm. It never made sense with any with Michael Jackson because he was nothing but nice and kind and loving to me. I smoked weed with Michael. Okay, like, uh, how old were you when you knew? I was fifteen, sixteen. Years old. Run, run. Planet Earth about to be recycled. Your only chance to evacuate is to leave with us. Is to leave with us. From leaving behind the world of bioterrorism to off the grid and independent living. You're listening to Exit the Cult. Happy Friday, everyone. I'm your host, Joe Morales, and you're listening to Exit the Cult, a podcast dedicated to exposing the lies of the mainstream media to help others wake up to the truth. Let's exit the cult together. It's Friday, November 11th, 2022. I want to welcome all of our new listeners. And of course, thank you to those who have been listening since the beginning. You guys are truly a bunch of badasses. But yeah, thank you guys for listening. I I really appreciate it. We've had some pretty amazing download numbers. I've been watching my stats, you know, because you never know. You never, you never know. You put these things out and you never know what's going to happen. So I am extremely grateful. We had over 150 downloads of the last episode. You guys are insane. I want to remind you, if you get a chance on your podcast app, please rate this show. Please uh, put in a review. It would help us a lot because it kind of uh, allows others to kind of see, oh, this is a show that's, you know, getting some ratings and reviews and it kind of pops us up in the charts. And so it definitely helps if you have the time, please do it. I would appreciate it. Uh, This episode, we're going to get into, of course, the fraudulent midterms that just uh, happened on Tuesday. We're going to talk about the death of Aaron Carter, uh, the controversy around, uh, I should say, the continued controversy around NBA star Kyrie Irving, and the latest information on the scandemic, formerly known as the Wuhan virus, aka the China virus. So we're going to get into all that stuff and so much more, you guys. It's going to be a good episode. I wanted to start things off with our cult of the day. We are going 
down to our toes, down to the soles of our feet with the Hono Hana. It is often called the foot reading cult because its founder, Hogan Fukunaga, claimed he could make a diagnosis by examining people's feet. He founded the group in 1987 after an alleged spiritual event where he claimed to have realized he was the reincarnation of both Jesus Christ and the Buddha. Of course, why not throw the best of both worlds in one little bucket and be that guy with a little foot fetish on the side? Mm. The group at one time claimed 30,000 members. However, you know what's so crazy about cults like, okay, this is, I can never get over this. Think about this, y'all. Like 30,000 people that we, you know, brush up against in our everyday life. I'm telling you, I'm sure you have been at least one degree away from someone who was in this cult. Isn't that crazy to think about? Anyway, uh, I'm off topic. The group at one time claimed to have 30,000 members. However, Fukunaga charged 900 bucks for the foot readings and a suspicion arose that he used the money to benefit himself. Of course he did. Of course he did. What, what did you think he was going to do? He was accused of swindling money from housewives and had to pay over... <laughs> of course, housewives. Read my feet. Yeah, and he's like, absolutely. Let's start here. <sighs> okay, now let's get started. Uh, housewives and okay, so he was swindling housewives and had to pay over a million dollars in damages. Fukunaga started preaching in 1980, claiming to be the world's final savior following Jesus Christ and the Buddha. He was then 34 and saddled with 500 million yen of debt. Soon he became a household name through the publication of texts penned by ghostwriters. In 1987, the sect gained official recognition as a religious corporation. So this right here, this article from Salon Magazine, Japanese court throws book at foot cult. Pull those socks off. According to Japanese cult Honohana Sampyogyo, if you have short toes, you have a shorter temper too. Fat toes, your life will be filled with good fortune. Sounds innocent enough, but Japanese cult leader Hogan Fukunaga also told his followers that they could die if they did not have the soles of their feet inspected, according to the Associated Press. Of course, this foot inspection did not come for free. Some believers paid Fukunaga up to 935,000 US dollars in order to ensure their health. There's nothing like getting ripped off to make you come to your senses. Four years ago, some of Fukunaga's followers began to defect, and a thousand of them eventually filed lawsuits. Fukuoka District Court Judge Mateoki Kamura recently proclaimed the cult legally responsible for defrauding its followers and ordered it to pay 2.1 million to 27 former members. Judge Kamura explained to the Kyoto News Agency that the cult, quote, significantly deviated from the range of what's permissible in the name of religious training, end quote. This modern Japanese sect is often referred to as the foot-reading cult based on the claim that its founder, who also claimed to be a Jesus Christ and Buddha, reincarnation, that's what I was trying to get at, could diagnose followers' problems by simply examining their feet and that they would die if they weren't inspected properly. Hmm. Like, how do people fall into this shit? That's what blows my mind. What I love about doing this podcast, and you know, the whole concept is get the hell out of these cults because they're all a bunch of boxes. It's, they're trying to shove you in a box some way, somehow, and pay us money along the way. 
And if you say anything out of line, we will come after you. You will be destroyed. You will never get a job in Hollywood. You will never make a name for yourself in this town. You hear me? You can hear me, motherfucker. You know, with this particular cult, because I very much believe in, you know, yoga and like stretching and massages and stuff like that. So I know there's like health benefits to this. You know, I know I know there is a health benefit to massages, but come on, you guys, you don't have to make a cult out of it. So anyway, that's why I started the podcast, because everything's a fucking cult, in my opinion. And all we can do is examine ourselves, examine our affiliations try to figure out how to escape the haunted house of horrors um, of reality in which we live. But anyway, this was just a quick little cult I wanted to talk about. This guy was charging people. I'm not even going to go deeper into it because it doesn't really matter. The guy was claiming he was Jesus. He was claiming his Buddha put into one smack dab. Now he's a, uh, a foot reader, a foot sniffer, a foot toucher, a fetish whore. Anyway, that's all I've got. Okay, let me continue. In a twist on palm reading, Fukunaga and other cult leaders read the soles of people's feet. They told the victims, victims, I love that they, it's so funny. Okay, who visited the cult, they, t- they told the victims who visited the cult for counseling about physical or family problems that their problems would worsen unless they attended a cult seminar, which cost 2.2 million yen or donated up to 14.3 million yen to the cult. Let's translate that. So 2.25 million yen translates to $16,000, and 14.3 million yen translates to $103,000. And obviously there's inflation, I'm sure, since they were, you know, fully thriving. Uh, So, you know, those numbers are a little different. I'm sure they've gone up, but you know what I'm saying? That's a lot of money. That's insane. Let's continue. The leader set cult members strict recruitment goals in a bid to swell the group's ranks. Separate goals were set for each of the group's branch offices. Wow, they had branch offices. Damn. When the Well, I guess they have to. 30,000 members? You got to manage that somehow. You need a lot of paperwork. When the cult's new facility was being built at a cost of 600 million yen. Damn. Let's translate that. 4.3 million dollars. That's a lot of feet. That's a lot of feet. Fukunaga reportedly ordered cult members to work toward an even harder goal. Of course. Staff members eagerly studied Fukunaga's methods of threatening people to make them enroll in special training sessions, the sources said. At these meetings, Fukunaga repeatedly said that lying was acceptable to lure people to enroll in special training. Quote, you should use your wisdom and say things even if they may not actually be true. End quote. He explained that the lies were acceptable as people would learn reason once they began the special training. That's called abuse. That is uh, psychotic. The group prepared a manual to train people. Fukunaga would wear $5,000 suits and custom-made Italian shoes. His wife, according to senior cult members, regularly spent six grand to seven grand a month on shopping. Fukunaga reportedly obtained 60 billion yen from more than 10,000 people over the past 13 years. While he spent enormous amounts enhancing his reputation as a religious leader by buying audiences with former Soviet President Mikhail Gorbachev and Pope John Paul II, President Clinton, Mother Teresa, Margaret Thatcher, 
Satya Sai Baba, and other celebrities. That is absolutely hilarious. Of course the Clintons are involved. Of course Pope John Paul II is involved. Of course Gorbachev is involved. You think this world we live in isn't a cult? It's a cult. Another extension of the New World Order, controlling people, and money laundering. According to a report by Christian Newsweekly World, the Clinton White House fundraising scandal. In May 1996, a fundraising dinner organized by Mr. Huang Huang was held at the Sheraton Carlton Hotel in Washington, D.C. Yogesh Gandhi, a distant relative of Mahatma Gandhi, paid for his ticket and that of a friend, Dr. Hogan Fukunaga, with a $325,000 contribution. At the dinner, Mr. Gandhi and Mr. Fukunaga presented Mr. Clinton, the 1996 Mahatma Gandhi World Peace Award. God, anytime there's something shady, I had no idea. They're always connected to the Clintons. Big surprise. Big surprise. After the Los Angeles Times reported in October the details of Mr. Gandhi's lowly economic status, the DNC concluded that the $325,000 that he had donated probably never belonged to him and returned his money. The founder was sentenced to 12 years in prison for bilking his flock out of 150 million yen in the name of a religious training. 15 senior cult members were charged with the mass fraud. Nine of the 15 were given verdicts, with all of them convicted. Prosecutors charged them with practicing medicine without a license. Fukunaga might yet face manslaughter charges and the deaths of four recruits who died during rigorous initiation rites at Mount Fuji. Eh, they are probably sacrificed in a blood ritual. Who knows? Legal experts say Japan's criminal justice system is ill-equipped to combat the cult phenomenon. And that's it. That's where it ends. That's where it ends. And if you think there aren't foot sniffers out there still, lingering around, wishing Mr. Fukunaga was still present, and they could worship at his toes, think again. Because they're still out there. Bunch of foot freaks! You are listening to Exit the Cult. Only on Elf Tree Publishing. Enjoy. 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 Hey, enjoy. Hey, you. Enjoy. Enjoy. Hey, hey, you. Yeah, you. Enjoy. Yes, you. Enjoy. From page six, inside the final year of Aaron Carter's life, he wanted his career back. Aaron Carter was a bit of a hermit in his final year, but was determined to get his career back on track according to his friend and co-writer Dan Wright. Wright, a musician known as 3D Friends, exclusively tells page six in the months leading up to the singer's tragic November 5th death, everything seemed like business as usual as they prepared to release Carter's new album, Blacklisted, which dropped on Monday. Wright described the I Want Candy singer as someone who didn't have a lot of people who are willing to help or work with the musician due to his troubled past with drugs. He adds that Carter just wanted his career back, but it was hard because the Aaron's Party singer would say no to opportunities and allegedly refused to leave his California home. Quote, 
I got the feeling he was kind of almost like a hermit, Wright says. He didn't really leave the house. He didn't really leave his town of Lancaster. He liked staying in. He liked staying home. He was a homebody, and I think as a result, he just didn't have a lot of people that were willing to go to his house, stay with him, and help him write an album, end quote. Wright says that the last time they spoke was brief and was strictly about business plans regarding the album, admitting they'd lost touch in recent months. But the musician insists that the entire time he worked with Carter, the former child star was extremely vocal about his sobriety. Quote, Aaron was very proud of being five years sober. He would always say that. He would use the term Cali sober a lot, referring to a slang term used to describe people who replace other addictive substances with marijuana. Wright says that along with weed, he only ever saw Carter take his Xanax prescription, which he claimed he'd be on for a very long time. Quote, he gives off this bad boy persona online and stuff, but talking to him in person, he's so articulate and so quick and has so many stories and has so much knowledge. I definitely never got the feeling that he was high on dusters, Wright explains. Carter has been open about his battle with drugs in the past, revealing his addiction to huffing in a 2019 interview on The Doctors. Carter had also previously been diagnosed with schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, manic depression, and anxiety. Carter, who shares an 11-month-old son with fiance Melanie Martin, was found dead in his bathtub by his housekeeper on Saturday at age 34. The cause of death has not been revealed, but law enforcement sources told TMZ that first responders found cans of compressed air in the bathroom at the time of his death. Wright says that before his sudden death, Carter was excited to be working on music again for the first time in years and was happy to be preparing to be on tour. So here's something interesting. Carter's final tweet, you guys. November 3rd. Here it is. Yo, Kanye, let's talk. Man to man. Isn't that interesting? As Kanye West is currently being canceled by the cabal that controls the media, you've got Aaron Carter, who previously claimed abuse, grooming and abuse, when he was a child. He came out about it. It was a big controversy, and I believe he blamed his brother at one point. From TMZ, Aaron and Nick Carter had a tumultuous relationship over the years, and the brothers were never able to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation to bury the hatchet before Aaron's death. Family sources tell TMZ, Aaron believed he was on good terms with Nick in his final days, but he never actually had a conversation with Nick himself. We're told in the months leading up to Aaron's death, his estranged sister, Angel, got word to Aaron that she and Nick loved him and wanted him to get healthy. And because of this... Aaron felt Nick and Angel were being supportive and they were all on good terms. Our sources say Aaron further believed things were okay between him and Nick because past correspondences with his family were usually explosive and the recent signals coming from Angel and Nick stood in stark contrast to the past. Remember, Nick and Angel each had a restraining order against Aaron, so any direct correspondence between the siblings would have been out of the question, at least legally. As we first told you, Nick first got the restraining order back in 2019 after claiming Aaron threatened to kill Nick's pregnant wife and unborn child. Angel got her restraining order the same year accusing Aaron of threatening to send hitmen to her door. It sounds like the ice was finally thawing, and we're told Aaron felt Angel's message was Nick's way of getting word to Aaron that the brothers were back on good terms. When Nick paid tribute to Aaron at a concert this week, he mentioned how he still loved his little brother despite their rocky relationship, saying Aaron's death broke his heart. 
Unfortunately, Aaron and Nick weren't able to talk to each other directly before AC was found dead in his home. So let's rewind. From Yahoo News back in September 19th, 2019, Aaron Carter says he was sexually abused by late sister and accuses Nick of family abuse. The ongoing drama between estranged brothers Aaron and Nick Carter just took an even darker turn after Aaron claimed he was sexually assaulted by one of his own family members. The 31-year-old singer went on a long Twitter rant early Thursday morning and revealed extremely personal details about his mental health and treatment. Quote, It runs in the family. I never wanted to tell anyone this, but I have to. Aaron then went on to claim and explain that his late sister, Leslie Carter, suffered from bipolar disorder and that she allegedly took lithium to treat the symptoms. However, he explained that, quote, she never liked the way it made her feel, and when she was off of it, she did things that she never meant to do. I truly believe that. I was 10 years old. Aaron then claimed that he was sexually abused by his sister between the ages of 10 and 13 years old. Quote, my sister raped me from the age of 10 to 13 years old when she wasn't on her medications, and I was abused not only sexually by her, but by my first two backup dancers when I was eight years old. And my brother abused me my whole life. In a final tweet, Aaron said to his brother, it's his turn to tell the truth. Quote, now it's Nick's turn to tell the truth of what he did to one of the girls in my family. Since my truth is all out there, I hope all survivors of assault and rape find peace and justice. Damn, that is insane. I had no idea about this. Had no idea about this with the Carter family. I mean, that would explain why Aaron's huffing paints. Jesus. He says the alleged sexual abuse caused him to seek therapy for the last 15 years and that, quote, I've been through many different treatments. I have finally found the right treatment, end quote. Aaron also now claims he has never been diagnosed with bipolar disorder or schizophrenia despite what he said on the doctor's. One of the reasons for revealing the secret about his sister Leslie, who died in 2012 of a suspected drug overdose, is that Aaron is also accusing his brother of abusing a member of their family. Quote, Now it's Nick's turn to tell the truth, the truth of what he did to one of the girls in my family. Since my truth is all out there, and I hope all survivors of assault or rape find peace and justice. As we reported, Nick and his other sister, Angel, have filed a restraining order against their brother after he claimed to have thoughts of killing Nick's wife and unborn child. According to the restraining order, Nick claims Aaron hears voices in his head. However, Aaron has denied having any violent thoughts towards his family. So Aaron Carter went live on TikTok with his mom while she was on the phone. And here's an interesting exchange that they had about Nick Carter. You guys, do, you, do you guys know that like my mom helped write Aaron's party? Do you guys know that my mom helped like write How I Beat Shaq? Like she's in there. Uh, uh, how could you be playing if you're still in bed? Are you getting sick? Did you hit your head? <laughs> you won't catch. And you know what? I was telling them, I was like, um, they did that song Backstreet Boys on their album. I don't know if it was Black or Blue or Millennium, but they, it was like number nine. And it was called The Perfect Fan. And it was about their, their, their moms. Nick was the only one that didn't show up to sing a song about his mother. Yeah, because he's got a lot of guilt. Guilt why? Guilt why? Uh, uh, you know... Well, because he was not there for his family. Like he promised. I said, Nick, I will make you a star. But you need to make sure you take care of your family. And he didn't. As soon as he got rich, he ran off with Mandy Williford. Williford... Uh, it was just 
insane the things that he did. He was gone. We never got to see him. No. We never got to see him. I saw Nick probably like two or three weeks out of each year. And, and, and on top of that, right before you signed your contract with uh, Transcontinental, the night before, he said, oh, uh, I have to confess that uh, Luke Perlman molested me. And I, that's the reason why I don't want Aaron to sign on this contract. So I had to go to the court and say that the next day that this happened. And so that's why we did not sign the deal that we were supposed to sign with Transcontinental because I think it was because Nick was jealous, didn't want you to sign. And so he came up with the story that Lou Perlman molested him. I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed of you, Nick. I'm ashamed how you've treated your family. I'm ashamed how you've treated our mother. And I will. Uh, they go, yeah. If the restraining order comes, that's his obsession with AC, not the other way around. Yeah, Nick's obsessed with me. Correct. You hear what that person just said, Mom? They said, yep. If another restraining order comes around, that's Nick's obsession with me. You hear that? You guys hear that? It's the truth. Keep Aaron from signing because he was so jealous of his brother. Wow. That he and then and then when I turned eighteen, he said, "Oh, uh, you owe me, um, you owe me four hundred thousand dollars. I gave that money to mom and dad when you were five years old to start your career. Did that ever happen?" No, that's not the way it happened, and that's something we can talk about later, which went through the courts. So, it oh, it went to the sea. It went to the courts. Yeah, and then on my 18th birthday, you know what my brother did? He broke my nose in a hotel room and made me sign a check to him for a hundred thousand dollars. He said, "Oh yeah, by the way, throwing an extra ten grand in there for uh, the taxes." Well, didn't your dad also beat you up? Dad made me go deaf in my ear. He shot a forty-four Magnum right next to the, his big gun, and he made me deaf in my ear, and my ear bled. And then Ginger, his ex-wife, attacked me. BJ attacked me. Angel attacked me. And, the, and they all attacked me for money on that day. And, and then Dad made me go to the bank and forge your name. Dad made me go to BANC of America and forge your name. You're, he, he waited outside while I forged your signature to get my money. So Lou Perlman, who Nick Carter claims molested him, was an American record producer, but he essentially went to jail, served a was serving a 25-year sentence for a Ponzi scheme. He had basically swindled uh, over a billion dollars out of investors, which is insane. He died behind bars back in 2008. So Aaron did an interview with Vlad TV a couple years ago, and I thought this was really interesting. Just wanted to add this little piece in where he talked about Michael Jackson, because I know there's been a lot of controversy. There was the Leaving Neverland documentary where uh, these two guys basically claimed that Michael Jackson molested them. I personally believed him. I saw the documentary. The only thing that really kind of made me question everything was the fact that uh, Oprah Winfrey, who I think is, you know, when the whole Pizzagate scandal came, kind of came out back in 2016 after the uh, Hillary Clinton email dump and all that stuff. And everyone was kind of digging into all this secret coded language and these emails coming from really high level celebrities and politicians that was essentially coded messaging about child trafficking and things like that. It, it's a, it's a, it's a rabbit hole, you guys, but also in that whole scandal was 
Jeffrey Epstein, his affiliations. And connected to Jeffrey Epstein was his black book. People that were on Lolita Express went out to his island and Oprah Winfrey had done that. But Oprah was hosting this interview with these two dudes on Leaving Neverland. And so that was a big, you know, red flag for me. Whenever I saw the documentary, I was like, okay, Oprah Winfrey is kind of handling this investigation. That's a little strange. What's going on here? And Michael Jackson is dead and he can't defend himself. So that's another red flag. That's a little strange. Anyway, I just thought this was an interesting piece of an interview that Aaron did a couple years back where he was talking about his relationship with Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson, man, told me never to sign with Sony Records. And now I know why he did. Michael Jackson told you never to sign with Sony. Because he had a bunch of problems with Sony. He went on stage and flicked them off and said F you to him. Okay. How, how well did you know Michael Jackson? Very well. Really? I have his jacket, man. You have Michael Jackson's jacket. Which yes. one? The one that we, we did at the Jackson 5 20th, 25th anniversary special. All Swarovski Crystal. Oh, that one. Yes, that one. What was Michael Jackson like in person? He was fun. He was jubilant. He, when he was around people that had good energy, he was cool. He could be himself, but he was very introverted and he was very upset at the world because he told me, he said, Aaron, I came out with bad thriller and off the wall and I came out being really tough, like a young brother and I did it. And then these people just started attacking me and I'm a pedophile and I'm all this stuff, he said. And then he's like, I had to change it. He's like, I had to go to human nature and heal the world and earth song. And I had, he's just like, I had, I was almost forced because I came out portraying a bad image, which hmm. he wanted people to take him seriously and be like, don't mess with me. Like beat it. Yeah. Yeah. Bad album, off the wall, thriller. Those yeah. are all three aggressive albums. Yeah. If you think about it, then he changed the game up. And well, then, human nature was on thriller. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But that was the segue into it. No, I feel you. No, yeah, he became softer after bad. Yeah, he had no choice because, and there was no social media around then. There was just news. Had you been to a Neverland? Yeah, I smashed his birthday cake in his face. <laughs> okay. When you hear about the allegations, huh? you know, did you see Leaving Neverland? Did I see Leaving Neverland? I think I watched a little bit of it. Isn't that the thing that, uh, what's his face did? Wade? Yeah. Did you know Wade? Yeah, Wade was the guy who pretended to be my brother on the Aaron's Party interlude albums because Nick wouldn't show up. So Wade Robson came and did it instead and pretended to be Nick. Okay, so when you hear that Wade all did a... skits in Aaron's Party, it's Wade Robson. When you hear that Wade Robson claimed that Michael Jackson was molesting him and now he's suing the Jackson estate and so forth, mm. well, what's your take on that? Who's suing? Wade. He's suing the estate. Yes. Him and the other guy are both suing. Why can't y'all go out and make your own money? <laughs> Get a job at freaking Starbucks or something, man. Come on. I mean, Jesus Christ, bro. Like, sorry to use the Lord's name in vain, but like, yo, man. Why you got to go after him? He's got kids. He's got an executor of the estate that runs at Great Raffle. Like, I don't, I don't understand why... Don't you see the pattern? They wait till they're gone to accuse them of being pedophiles. So nothing improper has ever happened to you. I mean, Michael. They, they don't do that to me. <laughs> they're so, calling me. A, they're calling me. A, they're calling me a pedophile. So nothing improper. And I'm alive. <laughs> so nothing improper between you and Michael Jackson ever. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. The, it, it's it's full. I mean, I'm writing a book, and I'll talk about it a little bit more in depth when the book is finished. Mm -hmm. But 
Absolutely not. And that's why I'm so appalled by it. I just, it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense about Lou Pearlman because he never did anything like that to me. Mm-hmm. It never made sense with any with Michael Jackson because he was nothing but nice and kind and loving to me. I smoked weed with Michael. Okay. Like, uh, how old were you when you knew? I was 15, 16 years okay. old. So also from Yahoo News, Aaron Carter recalls bedroom incident with Michael Jackson in posthumous memoir. Aaron Carter reportedly described for the first time how he stayed over at Michael Jackson's home after a birthday party, only to wake up and find him at the end of his bed. The late singer apparently mentions the incident in his posthumous memoir, Aaron Carter, An Incomplete Story of an Incomplete Life, according to an advanced copy seen by the New York Post. It is Carter's first detailed account of the incident, though he has alluded to it in previous interviews. The singer died last week and circumstances his family say are still under investigation. Quote, Michael and I went into the main house alone and headed to his bedroom area. After a while, I said I was ready for bed. I hadn't really thought about where I would sleep. Obviously, there were tons of rooms in the house, but he pulled out his cot next to his bed that was already made. I never asked for the cot, but there it was. I didn't care. I was tired. He turned out the lights and got in his bed and we went to sleep. A couple of hours later, something woke him up, Carter writes, and he allegedly, quote, found Michael at the foot of my cot in his tidy whitey underwear. I don't know if he was sleepwalking or what, but he seemed to be asleep. Quote, what the fuck, I shouted and shook him to wake him. Go back to your bed. He just mumbled, okay, then got back to his bed. We both went back to sleep. I never asked him about it. We never mentioned it. When I woke up in the morning, he was gone from the room. Yeah, nothing weird about that. Personally, I don't think he was sleepwalking. Well, from your perception, why do you think a grown man like Michael liked to be around children like yourself? Well, he told me, he told me, and because I, I asked him, I'm, you know me, I'm, I'm, yeah. y'all know me now, I'm very candid. I was like, so what's up with like, you know, your thing with like the little kids and like your statues around your house of like Peter Pan and stuff. It's like, what's up with that? Why why do you call it, ne- why are you calling it Neverland? <laughs> <laughs> Like, you yeah. want to live forever? Like, no, he's like, he started giggling. And he said, he said, because the best way in the music industry to stay relevant is to always keep instilling a positive message into the younger youth and showing them different sides of life. Like, for instance, like, even me, like, I invited a family over to our house the other day that we just met in the parking lot that their brakes broke down. Four kids, two parents, so they could swim in the pool because it was really hot. You know what I mean? And so there's there's the mentality that he had. And I spoke to him week, two weeks before, you know, he passed away and he said, Man, I just can't take this anymore, man. This is really fun. yeah, he's like, this is my this is this is the this is it, man. This is the final curtain call for me. He said So you guys kept in contact all these years. years really yeah up until right right before he died and when he moved into the other place out in beverly hills or wherever he wherever it was at and of course michael jackson died from a propofol overdose which was administered to him through his personal physician conrad murray who was found guilty um in michael jackson's death they ruled it a homicide and he was uh, charged with involuntary manslaughter and served a four-year sentence for that crime. So back to Kanye West. From page six, Harley Pasternak threatens to institutionalize Kanye West back to zombie land. 
Beloved celebrity trainer Harley Pasternak appeared to threaten to institutionalize Kanye West so that the rapper would be medicated into Zombieland forever. Following his anti-Semitic rants, West shared texts purportedly sent by Pasternak, who is Jewish, that began by offering to have a loving and open conversation with him based on fact. Pasternak also asked his former friend and client to refrain from cuss words or crazy stuff. End quote. West tweeted the screenshot Thursday and wrote that he was mentally misdiagnosed and nearly drugged out of my mind to make a manageable, well-behaved celebrity. So Pasternak said this in his alleged text. Quote, I'm going to help you one of a couple ways. First, you and I sit down and have a loving and open conversation, but you don't use cuss words and everything that is discussed is based in fact and not some crazy stuff that dumb friend of yours told you or you saw in a tweet. Second option, I'll have you institutionalized again where they medicate the crap out of you and you go back to Zombieland forever. Play date with the kids just won't be the same. End quote. So Kanye West said, quote, this is how a Hollywood trainer speaks to a far more influential black celebrity when we get out of line, end quote. Pasternak, who's 48, didn't immediately return Page Six's request for comment. He did, however, change his Instagram profile to private. Hmm, that's a little shady. The text purportedly sent by Pasternak, who has worked with Jessica Simpson, Jack Black, Lady Gaga, Rihanna, and many, 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 many more celebrities, confirm reports that he made the phone call that resulted in West's 2016 hospitalization. He was with Pasternak at the time. The Grammy winner's treatment came after he had meltdown on stage right before the rest of his tour was canceled. Quote, He's been suffering from exhaustion and sleep deprivation and went to the hospital today on his own will and under the consultation of his physician, end quote. So yeah, I don't really, I don't trust this, uh, this Harley Pasternak guy. I just feel like he has ties to the CIA. I think he's got, there's something more to this dude. He's not just some celebrity trainer. He's got a lot of power, a lot of power. And Kanye is calling him straight up. He's calling him out. Personally, I believe the tweet is real. And for him to say this to Kanye, I'll put you back in zombie land. That is fucked up. Anyway, here's an interview with Harley. And you tell me if he's not a handler. Listen to this. And the area of that I was interested in was how drugs and food affect muscular performance. And well, when you say drugs, are that like performance enhancing drugs? Or are they all, all just, kinds of drugs? Oh, right. Okay. So working for the military, I wasn't governed by the same laws that the typical person was. So I could look at the impact of certain drugs that are not that are not everyday things. So we looked at a drug called modafinil, okay. which was for narcoleptics. So if you give a soldier this um, drug, uh, how long could they stay awake for without uh, having any health detriment? <coughs> he ends up choking on his own words, which was really strange. Heard the name before somewhere. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's very interesting. Modafinil, it will keep you awake, but it's not a stimulant. Really? So if a special forces person has to stay awake for three nights waiting for the right opportunity to do whatever they have to do, we could give them a daffodil and it would keep them alert. 
So here's Kanye uh, referencing Pasternak on the Drink Champs interview that was canceled. Then let's have a conversation. But you ain't gonna send Harley Pasternak, Puff Daddy, Meek Mills, Kim Kardashian, none of the usual suspects, and get me to stop talking. You're going to have to take my life. I don't care if you black mirror me. I don't care if you do some of the alternative, what the thing was, show me talking, saying somebody didn't say. I don't care if you have me fucking a goat on camera. I don't care what you do. You're going to have Yeah. And by the way, and if you take my life, there's gonna be some college kid, some young yay, some young pop that's going to even go harder. It's going to, y'all thought George Floyd was going to send it up. If you took my life right now, you're going to see something you never saw. So we might as well have a conversation. So Harley Pasternak, he was a nutrition scientist for the military. He was recruited by the uh, Department of National Defense. So he was a DOD guy, and now he's a Hollywood handler, in my opinion. That's just my opinion. I'm sorry. You can't be texting Kanye West saying those things. Put you back in Zombieland? Well, seems like this guy knows the exact kind of drugs it would take to do that. And not only that, how ice cold do you have to be to say, play date with the kids just won't be the same? That's some evil shit, you guys. So Kanye West spoke to reporters in a parking lot to follow up on his, quote, anti-Semitic statements. I didn't realize that I could be considered anti-Semitic till I read one of the definitions of anti-Semitism. Look at this. The definition says, making mendacious, dehumanizing, demonizing, or stereotypical allegations about Jews as such, or the power of Jews as a collective, such as especially, but not exclusively, the myth about a world Jewish conspiracy or of Jews controlling the media, economy, government, or other societal institutions. But isn't that what you said? That Jews run everything? Yeah, but that actually is considered to be anti-Semitic. Right. So I didn't realize that it was anti-Semitic to say, hey, you know, I have a Jewish attorney. I have a Jewish record label. I have a Jewish contractor. I have a. Do you Jewish... regret your statements? Or the statements you think you should be walking back? I mean, considering. What do you mean walking back? Well, you know, backing up off of them. I mean, the thing is, you've you've lost a lot of endorsements. People are dropping you. You're getting, you know, vilified. You know, I mean, you might think you're right, but I think. You know, there's a lot, there's a whole world out there that's condemning you for, for what you said. So Kanye West ends up holding up his iPhone with a chart that is basically showing a graphic of all the Jewish-owned media. I posted a link to the chart in the show notes. Okay, so this right here is a chart of uh, Universal Studios, 20th, 20th Century Fox, ABC News, CBS, CBS News, Columbia Pictures. Uh, Warner Brothers, ESPN Sports, Fox News, Washington Post, Metro Goldwyn Mayer, MTV Music Television, Nickelodeon, USA Today, Wall Street Journal, Comedy Central, NBC Entertainment, um, uh, Google, uh, what else do we have? Disney, ABC Kids and Family, YouTube, Los Angeles Times, Discovery Network, Paramount Pictures, Facebook, Huffington Post, Yahoo, Marvel, Hulu, Cosmopolitan, Time, um, Touchstone, Associated Press, uh, Pixar, Miramax, HBO, New York Post, Lucas Arts, MSNBC, uh, DreamWorks Animation. Now, the thing is, I skipped over maybe about five of them because it was just unclear on this list. The red are the executives that are Jewish. 
at these companies. Do you think they stuck together when they heard what you said? Was that was that the was that what happened? Well, what I said is, hey, you know, I have I've had experiences where it felt like I was being teamed up on, and I didn't realize that that term would be considered to be anti-Semitic. So I had a a mediation with Adidas today and. I think Adidas felt like because everyone else was uh, ganging up on me that they had the right to just take my designs. And I feel like uh, right now, I feel like that was in, in Christianity. We don't say we don't say karma. We say uh, you reap what you sow. And I feel like this is God humbling me right now because there's two things that are happening. A lot of times when I would say, oh, I'm the richest black man, it would be a defense that I would use for the mental health conversation. To say, oh, you guys say I'm crazy, but look at this, I made money. And but but that is not godlike to be showing off. So if it's not godlike, then God will take that because it's it's all it's all the church's money, right? So what's happening right now is I'm being humbled. Another thing that's happening is by me being uh, burned to the flesh every single day, it's actually proving what I had to say. So um, when I went to the mediation. What I want to say is, like, black people are like, okay, Lex Friedman got you to apologize. Uh, Pierce Morgan got you to apologize to the Jews. But you never apologized to us about the George Floyd comment that made us feel bad. Now, the thing is, okay, JFK, they got a lot of documentaries about how it happened. So we can argue about how it happened, which I like the fact that we can do that. But regardless, when I see that video as a black person, it hurts my feelings. And I know that police do attack and America is generally racist and I understand that when we got to say black lives matter that the idea of it the idea of it made us feel good together as, as a as a person uh, as, as a people right when the idea of black lives matter came out it made us come together as a people now afterwards yes there was some uh, there was some things where the money went there were some things where it was used in order to push us to the Democratic vote. There were people behind and involved. That happened. But the general feeling. So when I said that and I and I and I questioned the death of George Floyd, it hurt my people. It hurt the black people. So I want to apologize to hurting them because right now God has shown me by what Adidas is doing and by what by what the media is doing. I know how it feels to have a knee on my neck now. So. I thank you, God, for humbling me and letting me know how it really felt. Because how could the richest black man ever be humbled other than to be made to not be a billionaire in front of everyone off of one comment? That actually, if you look at the definition of DEF CON, it means to get extra defense, which obviously I must have needed. Yeah, I must have needed that extra defense. And then Kanye is basically asked if he thinks that his legacy has been ruined by this and he doesn't, you know, obviously it's it's not. He's um, setting an example for anyone that becomes famous, becomes uh, a multi-billionaire, or I guess, I don't know if he's a multi-billionaire. I think he was just a billionaire, but now he's, now he's worth like 400 million bucks, whatever, still rich as hell. But then he uh, goes into what was furthermore uh, part of the controversy was him wearing the White Lives Matter shirt. He also started uh, controversies back a couple years ago when Trump was president because he was wearing the red MAGA hat. So he ends up talking about that. 
But the thing that I found the most interesting about this entire interview was what he says right here. Now let's talk about the red hat the, uh, and let's talk about the similarities to the White Lives Matter t-shirt. Mm -hmm. The thing about the red hat that drove me to a point of exhaustion, which was misdiagnosed by a, I'm not going to say what race, what people, uh, doctor, and what hospital, and what media went to. We know I can't say that. It was a Jewish doctor. <laughs> oh my God. It was a Jewish doctor that diagnosed me of having a disorder that would have had me on medication right now. At a time like this, if I was on medication right now, then one pill could have been swapped out and it would be Michael Jackson and Prince all over again. But because I didn't take the misdiagnosis and I didn't take the, the uh, medication, I'm able to speak to you guys clear of thought and transparently. So the physician he's talking about is Harley Pasternak. Interesting, right? So all that to say, rest in peace, Aaron Carter. I hope they get to the bottom of his death. Um, I suspect they're going to blame an overdose. And we're living in a very strange time. Very strange time. Aaron Carter, his final tweet to Kanye West. Yo, Kanye, let's talk. Man to man. That was two days before his death. So the question I have, was Aaron Carter murdered? According to recorded history, the first democratic election began around 500 BC in ancient Greece, when the tyrannical government was able to avoid a people's revolution by allowing them a choice, usually between two people, an illusion of freedom for an awakening populace. This was the beginning of the two-party system that we have today in America. Both Republicans and Democrats bought and paid for by the same hidden hand. Freedom from tyranny is a dream that has never been fully realized in the civilized world. And it's safe to say that America has never had an honest, fair election. Buying votes for liquor was already a custom from England. And in 1758, George Washington spent his entire campaign budget on 160 gallons of booze for the few hundred landowners who were allowed to vote in the presidential election. The earliest elections were not conducted in secret, so after days of heavy drinking, each person would openly declare his vote for all to see. In the 1840s, the Democrat Party began deploying an election strategy known as cooping, as in chicken coop. They would lure people into back rooms and basements where they would beat them and drug them and force them to vote Democrat several times in different disguises. Cooping was common enough that many believe the writer Edgar Allan Poe was killed from being drugged during a cooping incident during the Baltimore election of 1849. In 1855, thousands of Missourians crossed the border to illegally vote in a Kansas election. With guns drawn, they coerced every town to record their votes. Some towns had five times as many votes as its entire population, and 90% of the votes supported the pro-slavery candidates that the residents of Kansas were mostly against. 
During the late 1850s, several of the infamous gangs of New York were hired and brought into DC during a local election to intimidate voters of the opposition. Things got so violent and out of hand that the US Marines were called in to clear the streets of gang members. Around 10 people were killed. In 1868, Hundreds of black men were killed in Louisiana for being registered to vote Republican. These are just a few examples of voter fraud, but the entire two-party system is a fraud. No matter who you vote for, the policy never changes because the system is not interested in personal freedom. And so they will always cheat. Starting in 1948 with the infamous Box 13 scandal, LBJ introduced a new form of voter fraud to be embraced for years to come by both parties. The simple technique of waiting until the end and then stuffing the ballot box with whatever you need. Electronic voting has only made this easier, allowing manipulation of the vote count all the way through. Mike Lindell's team recorded the election tally in real time and we can easily see evidence of manipulation. Hundreds of thousands of votes for Democrat candidates all in an instant. A million here, a million there, in an instant click of a button. We can also see several inexplicable negative drops that can only be explained as manipulated adjustments to keep it close. Sloppy, as always. The civilized world has never been free. And America lost the Republic years ago to the mob rule madness of democracy and the two-party system. But considering our history, we can easily reverse this and grow in a positive direction, if we so choose. Reporting for InfoWars, this is Greg Reese. From the Gateway Pundit, the fix is in. Arizona ballots make stop at Runbeck Printing Company to scan ballot envelopes before they are sent to county with no observers. It's a developing story. Ben Bergquam was outside the Maricopa County Election Center and followed a Penske truck leave the center and return to Runbeck. Once at Runbeck, the gate is closed. Every mail-in ballot that is returned in the county is sent to Runbeck first. Runbeck is scanning the Maricopa ballots before they are sent to the Maricopa County Election Center. Out here at the Maricopa Elections Office, more Penske trucks coming in, apparently delivering ballots. Maricopa County is the only jurisdiction in the county that picks up completed ballots at USPS Processing yes, Distribution Center, but doesn't bring them back to the Election Department or Tabulation Center. Maricopa County picks up mail-in ballots and takes them directly to its print vendor, Runbeck Election Services, which is headquartered in Phoenix. Every single completed mail-in ballot, whether mailed or dropped off at a polling place, goes to Runbeck. All mail-in ballots collected on Election Day and the previous few days are sitting at Runbeck's headquarters. It's following one of the Penske trucks. Just left the elections office. Maricopa has no idea how many ballots are in their possession because the ballots are at their print vendor. Maricopa allegedly uses Runbeck because they have, quote, high-speed scanners, end quote. Runbeck scans the ballots in batches to create a digital image of each envelope signature area. This batch of images is given to the Maricopa Tabulation Center, the MCTEC, for poll worker review. 
MCTEC notifies Runbeck if any of those signatures don't match. Runbeck separates out those bad envelopes, then delivers both sets of these envelopes by van to MCTEC, which is six miles away. MCTEC then opens the envelopes and starts the tabulation process. This batch process is repeated until all mail-in ballot envelopes are scanned at Runbeck. This takes 10 to 12 days after every general election, and ballots envelopes are delivered each day by Runbeck vans. Runbeck uses the Bluecrest Vantage mail processing machines to scan these ballot envelopes. This machine can process 40 to 50,000 ballots an hour. These machines can also automatically scan the ballot signatures using embedded commercial-grade check caching signature software from Periscript. But Maricopa continues to use its slow manual batch process of reviewing signatures. These Vantage machines cost $1 million each. Detroit just purchased one in early 2022. Maricopa could purchase two of these machines and process roughly 90,000 ballots an hour in-house, but Maricopa continues to re-sign contracts with Runbeck, which prevents them from bringing all these in-house. It's a travesty. Just trying to keep an idea of chain of custody, what's happening with this election, make sure we don't see any of the fraud that we saw in 2020. But I don't have high hopes at this point, based on what we've seen so far. The Gateway Pundit reported on the serious issues in Maricopa County's general election on Tuesday. Due to the incompetence of Maricopa County and Katie Hobbs, tabulators were down, printers ran out of ink, and long, long lines kept voters waiting to cast their ballots. Voters were told to deposit their ballots into Box 3 to be tabulated at the Elections Department in downtown Phoenix later. The county claims that only 17,000 votes were affected and dropped in Box 3. Shocking news about the total number of ballots was reported yesterday on the Charlie Kirk Show, alleging that the county is underreporting the numbers of ballots that remain to be counted. As the Gateway Pundit reported, Arizona election expert Gina Swoboda announced on the Charlie Kirk Show on Friday that there are significantly more votes to be counted in Arizona than was reported. Swoboda told Charlie Kirk Show that 351,000 GOP voters have not even had their vote tabulated yet. This new report also confirms that more votes were placed in Box 3 than the county admits. The Gateway Pundit recently reported that Maricopa County admitted in a new statement that 70 out of 223, or over 30% of voting centers, were impacted by tabulation machine failures after previously claiming that only about 20% were affected. Yet they still want us to believe that only 17,000 votes were placed in Box 3? Carrie Lake said in a recent interview that people's votes that had not been counted got mixed in with batches that had already been counted. As we reported, voters are being told their ballot was counted when the voter checked into the voting location, not when the ballot is actually counted. The Gateway Pundit correspondent Jordan Conradson spoke to patriots at the Maricopa County Elections Department protest about why they are protesting earlier today. In the interview below, 2022 election clerk Dave confirms this shocking development. That's incredible. So you, you told me you were a clerk on election day. What kind of stuff did you witness at the polls and what, what did it tell you? What, how did it make you feel? So I was a clerk at the uh, um, Dream City location. That, that's one of the ones that went down, correct? That's correct. So the morning was uh, pretty pretty bad, I guess. Put it that put it. I won't. I'll use uh, the right words. Um, people were very upset, but actually, 
given the situation, they actually behaved pretty well, but, but there were some angry folks. Um, the machines, literally, I was, I was standing over the machine for a good part of it. I'd say maybe one out of 10 would be accepted. Uh, the other ones would get rejected. And then there was a, uh, another box right next to it that was supposed to be scanning. It never worked the entire day. It was broken down the whole time. So it functioned as slot number three. So we would take those folks who finally gave up on trying to cast their ballots and they would drop it into that slot three in the other box. And uh, several people who were waiting in line saw that happen and they said, you know what, I'm not going to um, you know, go up to the machine and, and try and probably fail to cast my ballot with the machine. So they dropped their, their uh, ballots into box three. But the most shocking thing that people should know, I, as a clerk, I was responsible at the end of the night for filling up the black bag with the ballots from the box that was filled with the scanned, the successfully scanned ballots. So me and the other clerk filled up the black bag with those ballots. And when we were done, we were told to just go right over to the adjacent box, which is this magical slot number three box. And we took those ballots out of that box and we stuffed them right in the same bag. In the same bag, yes. We heard a report yesterday that they were mixing uncounted ballots from box three with already counted ballots. So you can confirm this is true? Absolutely. If I need to sign an affidavit, uh, absolutely. And my, uh, my counterpart, uh, clerk, obviously she was there as well. Right. So do you believe the number the county is giving us that there is only 17,000 box three ballots or do you think they're underreporting that? Well, I'm not sure how that could even report a number uh, given that, uh, you know, in our location, um, honestly, I wasn't counting how many ballots I was stuffing because I've been working for about 16 hours at that point and was exhausted and ready to go home. So I was just doing my best to, to uh, uh, put all the ballots together. But the slot three box, um, I'm going to guesstimate, maybe had a couple hundred ballots in it. But, you know, that's just a rough guess because I didn't count them. But for them to say there's 17,000, I don't know how that could be possible because the 200 that I put in that black bag were commingled with uh, the scanned ballots. Right. That, that's, that's incredible, actually, to hear that from another poll worker. What do you think is going on inside of that Maricopa County building where they are tabula tabulating the ballots? I really fear that, uh, I think it's obvious that what they've done so far is they're cherry picking the, uh, the blue regions for, for the uh, votes for Hobbs. But my biggest fear is, is that all of the uncounted ballots um, are maybe being manipulated and maybe they're you know, getting uh, uh, modified. That's my fear. I, I pray that's not, but I fear that. Right, so the, yeah, of course, they could be manipulating these ballots, but back to that part where you said they were cherry picking, do you think that should be legal? Do you think they are, do you think they are doing something that is criminal by keeping us waiting for election results and basically giving us fake election results over the next, over the last few days? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, Florida has, I think, three times the population of Arizona, and they were done um, at 9 p.m. or 11 p.m., whatever time it was, and we've got this ridiculous system. Um, you know, I used to be able to, to go vote at the school in my neighborhood where I live, 
uh, where my daughters go to school, that's been shut down. We now have these big, large um, centers, if you will, and just the whole process. Uh, I really think we need to go back to paper ballots, and you've got to vote in person, you got to have an ID, and, you know, let's just keep it simple. And it can be done, obviously, as evidenced by Florida, Kentucky, uh, Tennessee, uh, look look at France. France has, I know, only maybe 32 million population, but they were able to do it. That's right. So w what do you want to see happen after today, after this protest of us showing our peaceful and patriotic stance? I'd like to see the uh, vote count get accelerated and let's let's get this over and done with. And uh, each, with each passing day, I'm, I'm again, I'm concerned that maybe these ballots might be getting uh, manipulated. Um, and, you know, I, I still don't know how it's possible that Kelly's been declared a winner, uh, Fontes has been declared a winner, and yet there's between three and 400,000 votes still outstanding. Uh, how, how's that possible? Uh, are there that many people that um, only voted for Katie Hobbs and Mark Kelly and, and Adrian Fontes of all the votes that have been produced so far? Um, and yet Kerry's right there neck and neck. So it just seems odd to me. Um, I think the whole count is very suspicious. And another part of that that might cause some more suspicion is they are not allowing any true media into their press conferences. They're only allowing the fake news media. What does it tell you that Ben Burkwam and myself were nearly arrested for trying to get into this press conference the other day? I was shocked. I saw that video, that sheriff um, just completely uh, operating, I think, unconstitutionally. You were, you were in a public place in a parking lot. Um, and to be removed like that, uh, it's, it's just criminal. It's really tragic. We, we've become a banana republic here. This is pathetic. That's right. It's welcome to America, right? Well, thank you so much for, for your time, Dave. All right, thank you. Thanks. So here is Republican candidate Carrie Lake speaking to Tucker Carlson about the election fiasco that is going on over there in Arizona. We're going to start tonight with Carrie Lake. She's running for governor in Arizona. She joins us tonight. Thank you so much for coming on. So it's very hard to know if you're not there what is happening. What is your best assessment of it? Uh, well, I mean, it, it, we've got messed up elections for starters, and they've yeah. counted a lot of ballots, but there's still about a half a million left to be counted. And, and these are primarily hardcore Republican voters, people who showed up and brought their ballot in on election day. We're starting to get a few of today's numbers trickling in, and we're getting from some of these drops, 74% of the vote, 72% of the vote. These are heavy duty Republican voters. And, and isn't it, convenient that they are the last ballots to be counted. They count all the Democrat votes early and the really reliable Republican ballots are the last to be counted. So we're less than a point away from our opponent and we think it's going to start turning and turning quickly. And we believe we're going to win in, in a, with a nice, uh, nice padding, actually. So your opponent is the secretary of state. Um, she didn't campaign much, and she didn't seem like she needed to campaign a lot. She never debated you. And some are smirking online that, well, of course, she was always confident uh, in her victory. What's your view of that very common take on the race? <laughs> You're trying to get me to say something that might get me in trouble. Listen, no, no, it's just I've read 50 people say that. 
that that means people are so distrustful. What they're insinuating is that she knew she could sit back, hide in the basement, do nothing, and win due to cheating. That's what they're insinuating. And I understand right. why they would insinuate that, because we've had such terrible elections. They're run poorly. They're ripe with fraud. And we, we've seen this time and time again, and nothing's being done. Our elected officials tell us if we dare bring it up, we are conspiracy theorists, we're election deniers. Darn it, we've got to start bringing this up. People are fed up. I was in a Veterans Day parade today, and people were shouting out from the side of the road, please repair our elections. Please count our vote. This is crazy. The people of Arizona are fed up. And when we win, and rest assured, we will. With 100% certainty, we will win. One of the first things I'm going to do on day one is call a special session, bring the legislature in, and say, fix these elections and restore honesty and transparency so we can have faith in our elections once again. This is our sacred vote. We get one vote. That's what we should get, one vote. And we want to know it counted. I'm, I'm not accusing your opponent of doing anything wrong. I have no knowledge of that. But she is the Secretary of State, and it seems that one of the main costs of an election this chaotic is the confidence of voters that it's real. So why wouldn't she recuse herself for appearance sake, if no other, before the count began? We asked her to do that one month into jumping into the race back in uh, July of 21. We asked her to recuse herself. We said, this is unethical. It, it, you know, Just recuse yourself from the parts of your role as Secretary of State that uh, deal with the election, and she refused yeah. to do so. But you know, she only showed up for work 19 days in the past six months. So I don't know how much work she does. And we had the big red flag on August 2nd, the primary election, it played out exactly like this. They counted the Democrat votes first, they slow rolled the Republican votes, and it was days and days and days of counting. They did nothing to improve it before this general election. And then we had the tabulator machines that didn't work in a third of the polling places. We can't continue to run elections this way. We're very no. confident, Tucker, that these elections are going to start, or these, uh, these counts are going to start going heavily our way, and we will win this. And I assure the people of Arizona, we will clean up our elections. Yeah. And I, my view is eliminate absentee ballots, except for, you know, the tiny percentage who really need them. This is, this is crazy, and it really is hurting people's view of democracy. Carrie Lake, I appreciate your coming on tonight. Best of luck. Thank you. So, yes, if you don't know who Carrie Lake is, she's a total badass. She's a patriot. She is very much uh, speaking out against the establishment. She speaks out against corruption, and she is doing everything she can to get elected so she can clean up Arizona and all of its fraud. And Katie Hobbs, she's a damn fraud. She's been exposed by Project Veritas. She refused to debate Carrie Lake, which is just pathetic. It's just pathetic. Carrie Lake basically opened the floor saying, hey, you can pick the place, you can pick the time, you can pick the moderators, and you can pick all the questions. I will debate you face-to-face, -face, live TV. Let's do this for Arizonians. And Katie Hobbs said, no, I'm not going to do it. That's beneath me. Katie Hobbs is a fool. She's a fraud. And I hope she uh, is ousted. But as you can see, I don't really have high hopes because I feel like there's election fraud going on and uh, I just think the Democrats are going to steal it. They are stealing everything they can, which is why you had Fetterman, John Fetterman, with the, with the big bulge on the back of his neck, getting elected in Pennsylvania. If you saw his debate with Oz, it was 
it was unbelievable. The way it, it, listen, here he is. You, you judge for yourself. No, we, we all have to make sure that everyone that works is able to, that's, that's the most American bargain, that if you work full-time, you should be able to live in dignity as well, true. And I believe they haven't have any businesses being... Businesses. Being, uh, you can't have businesses being subsidized by not paying ind- uh, individuals that just simply can't have to, to pay their own way. Oh, my God. As lieutenant governor... You're running for a seat that could decide the balance of power in Washington. What qualifies you to be a U.S. senator? You have 60 seconds. Here it comes. Hi. Good night, everybody. (laughs) I'm running to serve Pennsylvania. He's running to use Pennsylvania. You have not released your detailed medical records surrounding your stroke. Mr. Fetterman, will you pledge tonight to release those records in the interest of transparency? You have 60 seconds. No. No. Uh, to me, for transparency is about showing up. I'm here today to have a debate. I have, you know, spe- speeches in front of 3,000 people in Montgomery County, you know, all across Pennsylvania, big, big crowds. You know, I believe if my doctor believes that I'm fit to serve, and and that's what I believe is appropriate. And now, with two weeks before the election, you know, I have run a campaign, and I've been very transparent about being very open about the fact we're in use captioning. And I believe that again, my doctors, the real doctors that I believe in, they all believe that I'm ready to be served. Follow up. I didn't hear you say you would release your full medical records. Why not? You have 30 seconds. No. No. Uh, yeah, again, my doctor all believes that I'm fit to be serving, and that's what I believe is where I'm standing. Oh, okay, oh, that's enough. That's enough. Can't even listen to this guy anymore. Oh, you guys, this is where we're at in this country. Somebody like John Fetterman can get elected to the Senate. That's where we're at. But I guess in Fetterman's defense, I mean, you know, he had a stroke, which I don't think is funny at all. Um, but he was willing to get on stage and debate his opponent, unlike Katie Hobbs. So there was a lot of news we didn't get to because it's just how it is. I, I, I would have to do a two-hour show to jam-pack all the uh, stuff that I wanted to talk about. So we didn't even get to Kyrie Irving, but I know that saga is going to go on and on and on and on because we're in a world where you can't have free speech anymore. You can't even have an opinion that goes outside of the mainstream narrative, out of the beep narrative that Kanye is talking about. So... This, uh, this past week, the CDC was forced to release their V-safe data um, on the uh, just kind of some of the information on the jabs. And here's that report. Civil rights attorney Aaron Siri, the managing partner at Siri and Glimstad. Mr. Siri, thank you for coming on. I just want to point out that it was 463 days, you tell us, from the time that you requested this V-Safe data. V-Safe is a CDC program where you just kind of report how you're doing after you got the vaccine. 463 days to get it. Why did it take so long in your estimation, sir? It's a very good question. Why did it take numerous legal demands, multiple appeals, two lawsuits, in fact, before the CDC finally handed over the V-safe data, which is already de-identified data for the most part that they provided just two days ago, 144 million lines of code that they could have provided in a matter of minutes at any point? It's a great question. Maybe the answer is, is that now that we have that data and we've looked at that data, of the 10 million users within VSafe, uh-huh. 7.7% of them had to seek medical care after vaccination. That is an incredibly high percentage. 
it appears to me. Yeah, and, and I, if I can, sir, so I sure just there want to put this graphic up to kind of follow along with you. You're right. 7.7 required sure. medical care. We're talking about emergency rooms, hospitalizations. There it is right there. And on top of that, not yeah. to, to go you one better, but this is your information, another 2.5 million, we're talking 25%, missed work or school or had bad reactions to the vaccine. What's the takeaway for you from this? Is it significant? It is. Uh, it seems incredibly significant. A big reason that they pushed the COVID vaccine is they said, look, not everybody's going to get, you know, seriously injured by COVID. But for many, it'll prevent them from having symptoms, being hospitalized, uh, missing work. Well, now that we have the data, we could see that getting the vaccine caused 25 percent of people who got the shot within mm -hmm. this data set of 10 million people to miss work, to have some of serious event affecting their normal life functions. Yeah. And you also pointed out. But I do out, leave it to folks like Marty. Yeah, you pointed out that four I was just going to say, I leave it to people, folks like Marty McCaffrey. Yeah. Four million people had, had reports of joint pain. I know you've got a lot of information and you want to share it. And, and we want to hear it. And you're exactly <laughs> right. And Marty McCary is a, is a great expert on these types of things. And he's a doctor. And yeah, I mean, there's some concern when you have four million people uh, reporting joint pain after they got the vaccine. Right. It's, and it's not just that it's four million. It's that it's four million out of a group of only 10 million people. So that that makes that number extremely high. And of those four million that reported joint pain, you know, joint pain is an immune reaction. That is something to be concerned about after vaccination. About two million of those were moderate, not mild, but moderate joint mm -hmm. pains. And 400,000 of them were severe joint pain. This is a shot that's intended to help folks who are more elderly. Those are the folks susceptible to COVID. Making their joints swell, potentially causing long-term issues, that's not a good idea. Yeah, I got to go here, but I just want to know, is, this, is it your sense here that this information leads you to believe that one vaccine is better than another, or is it too early to know that right now? Well, actually, uh, that's, that's an interesting question. All of the data has been put up by the, our client, who we represented in this case, ICanDecide.org. And on their website, they've created this amazing, uh, easy-to-use, simple interface where you can search all this data. Yeah. And one of the tools that you can use is they can look by vaccine. And in fact, the Moderna vaccine, interestingly, even though less shots of it were administered, appears within this data set to have a higher rate of adverse effects. Yeah. Uh, Aaron Siri, thank you for coming on, sir. Come back when you have more information and, and we'll talk about it. Thank you. Yeah, I have a good idea. How about you just stay away from it? While they do this experiment, why don't you just, I don't know, um, let's see, what options do you have? Oh, oh, don't participate as a big pharma lab rat. Here's CNBC's Jim Cramer calling for the state-run propaganda to spread COVID vaccines. This guy is a, dude, total piece of shit. Listen to this. Also, you know, the other benefit for President Xi of having all these COVID controls is that you are very, very um, easily able to, to track people. Yeah, it's called and communism. That's another big benefit um, for this regime. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, the well, power of the state. There's no doubt. Eunice, thank you for that. The power of the state. We mentioned uh, the we went to Eunice, some of the video that came out of Shanghai Disney Gym where they had to suspend operations to comply with the prevention measures, but literally kept people in the park until they came back with a negative test 
Just astounding. Slaves. Well, was it pre-tests it over 24 yeah, hours? Or yeah, well, because you get it. I mean, look, I was had I had a PCR test with someone at 10, and they gave it to me by five. So I don't think that's wrong. Let's just go back over. I mean, I think cheap propagandists let me. You know, I call that person a dissembler, so to speak. But I mean, they need it. They have a narrative which just says basically you can you can conquer uh, COVID by just being locked down. And this has to change the narrative to being, you know what, you know what's even better? Our homegrown mRNA, which I am told is simply that they managed to get the intellectual property, stole it, which is good. Because when I say oh, it's, it's good. better to have mRNA than not, let's just say they appropriated it. And, and they got to deal with, what do you do if you told people the way to beat this is no vaccine, right. and now you have a vaccine. So I think what you need is a propagandist. My God. Outside of the state infrastructure. Exactly. To start moving political opinion. But I think when we think of propaganda, we think about other regimes that we didn't really appreciate. My God. They're just... You're like silent. They're shocked. I'm silent. I'm just thinking about those poor people stuck at Disney, Shanghai Disney for... It's a, I mean, it's the worst places to be stuck, but still. Chief, it's a real small world after all. Guys, we'll get to the president oh, here. Oh, blasting. oh, Jim Kramer, you are a true piece of shit. I cannot believe this guy's allowed on television. Jim Kramer is absolutely CCP. He's a plant. He is most likely working for the CIA or he has been briefed. I don't trust the guy with a 50,000 foot pole. Jim Kramer, pardon my French, go fuck yourself, you communist. Look, I'm sorry. Like, I, I know I apologize. I'm passionate. I always get passionate on this show. But you guys, you got to start calling a spade a spade. These people are absolutely authoritarian, communist, tyrannical psychopaths. People have free will. You do not have to get a vaccine. It's not even a vaccine. It is a kill. It's a kill shot. This was a planned attack on humanity. That's what this is. This is a depopulation bio-warfare. We are in a psychological warfare, and Jim Cramer is a part of that process for the deep state. What a piece of shit. We got to wrap it at that, you guys. I'm getting pissed. Um, yeah. God, can you believe it? Can you believe what we're hearing from these people? These heartless CCP agents, these heartless propagandists, talking heads, these Illuminati New World Order shills. Ugh. I need to go take a shower feel dirty listening to that guy. Anyway, you guys, I hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you for listening if you made it this far. Uh, you know, I know the show's called Exit the Cult and we're talking about culty things. Politics, it's all culty. Left, right, it's all cult. I just like to observe it all. It's uh, the world we live in and it is currently upside down. And I think you know that. Anyway, Special thanks to Greg Reese, Kanye West, Yee, Aaron Carter, Elftree Publishing, and of course, our badass listeners here at ETC. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please reach out to us at ExitTheCult at ProtonMail.com or visit ExitTheCult.com. As always, be sure to check out the description for show notes and links to articles and videos featured in the episode. Be sure to subscribe to the show over on our twitch.tv where I will be doing some occasional live shows in real time here and there. Rest in peace, Aaron Carter. And guys, don't forget, have a killer weekend and don't be a killer!
If you have an interesting story or information you'd like to share with our listeners, send us an email at exitthecult at protonmail.com. Please help support the show by becoming an Exit the Cult member over at our Patreon page for exclusive content and bonus episodes. Visit exitthecult.com for details. Tune in to new episodes on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening.